Duggan and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, rolling along, Pete Carroll to join us in an hour and a half as we've been reacting throughout the morning to the big news that Geno Smith has signed a three-year deal with the Seahawks. More numbers coming out this morning, uh, certainly lower what we originally heard as the average annual value. It's not going to be anything close to $35 million a year, and in fact, only $40 million guaranteed. So uh, we'll get back to that coming up at 8.30. We'll give you everything you need to know in 15 minutes. But let's go back to Peoria for our daily conversation with Shannon Dreyer, our mayor insider who joins us from spring training hi shannon good morning good morning uh let me start with luis castillo who as you know i love and i'm really excited about him and he's pitched twice and he hasn't looked great is this starter who is taking his time to work himself into it and i shouldn't worry at all or is this guy who struggled to start off each year of his career recently maybe we should be a little nervous about this I think it's the latter, but we just, we have not been through this with Luis Castillo before. We have not been through a spring training. So I think that the Mariners were very aware of what you just said. And I I think that that is one of the reasons why they worked very hard to come to agreement that you won't go to the WBC. We'd like to. Um, you know, definitely have the time to go through a full spring training with you. I can tell you, and this really, again, we don't really know him, so I don't know what that means, but he smiled through the whole outing. He didn't seem too concerned about anything. And uh, we have heard, you know, in the past that he is a slow starter, that he is slow in spring training to get going. I do know that he is very uh, convicted in what his routine is and how he goes about things. And so I, I think that, you know, that can be a little bit more you know, difficult to sometimes get through to. But I do know that Pete Woodworth has a fantastic relationship with him as well. So I'm sure they're working on it. You know, the one thing that I was a little bit nervous about when watching him yesterday, and when I say nervous about again, it's because we just don't know. He very well could be the guy when he flipped the switch and there it is. Is We just didn't see velocity from him yesterday. Basketball was definitely 92-93. We didn't mm. see it in the first outing, too. And you don't really you, – you, you don't worry about it in the first inning. And there is – Still a long ways to go in spring training, but yeah, you keep an eye on it. How was the uh, the velo of the guy that followed him? A kid out of uh, Texas A and M. <laughs> one of the one of the guys. I think Jerry told us that, and many others, that he was maybe mentioned in more trade talks than any other young Mariner. That being Bryce Miller, the pitcher. How did uh, Bryce's stuff look? First pitch, ninety eight mile an hour fastball strike. It was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. And after the game it was funny because he wasn't too I don't want to say not pleased with himself, but he said he didn't feel great. You know, three scoreless, flashing ninety eight the entire time. And but for him, you know, he wants to see his secondary pitches there. He wants to have a little bit of a better feel for everything. So that was kind of actually interesting to see how he works that, you know, this is a first for him to be in a big league camp and you should be elated that you threw three scoreless. And he wasn't too hard on himself, but, you know, pretty honest, not quite there yet. And if that was not quite there yet, then uh, I think that uh, the reviews that we've been hearing on him, it should be fun to see that translate. I I think this is probably totally incorrect and totally uh, unbiased. But when I look at him and I've said this both in person, last week when we watched him and there's certain guys that you watch that are effortless the ball just comes out of their hand with ease and then there's others like Matt Brash and Bryce Miller that you see the explosiveness on the mound I mean they just absolutely rip it with everything they have does he have a third a fourth a, a fifth pitch or is he 
kind of, as you look at it, transitioning maybe to a little bit of brass, just a wipeout, you know, 98 fastball with a really tight slider. Is there more there in the repertoire to be a starter, or is he going to be an elite power arm? No, I think I think the consensus on him is he is going to be a starter. It might take a little bit more development, but yes, the slider is above average, um, and, and been fairly nasty at that too. He has a changeup that is probably average that he wouldn't need that often. Will throw a curve from time to time, but I, I do think that they think that. And when I say they, it's not just the Mariners, but from others that I've talked to around baseball. When you look at the young pitchers and those that you might look at as a role in being exactly what you're saying in the bullpen, Prelander Baroa might fall into that category. Mm-hmm. They say, oh no, Bryce Miller is the starter in the group. So last night, got to spend the night with uh, Uncle Damon and saw slinging Sammy Heward. And Sammy, the, the lefty, a big Mariners fan. I mean, huge. Told me he's on a text stream with like 15 of his college buddies, and they're all in on the Mariners. So he's pinging me with questions, I think, to look smart on his text stream because, you know, we had eyes on these Mariners for a week. So, uh, you know, I give him a lot of credit doing his, his due diligence like a good quarterback does. And he asked me a question, and Salk didn't answer it. He kind of teased it uh, coming into to this conversation because he wants to hear your answer first and see if it actually mirrors the same answer that I think Salk and I have. And Sam said, Hey Brock, uncle Brock, who ends the Mariner season with the highest batting average on the team? Oh, wow. I've not even thought about that one. I hadn't either. Uh. I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty good question. (laughs) And I think batting average will come into play a little more this year. We're starting to see some of those numbers uptick a little bit. And I know it's not advanced and I know it's simple and I know it's been around a hundred years and it doesn't tell the whole story, but it does give you a baseline. Yeah. I know what I want to see. I want to see Ty France. Wow. All three of us totally aligned on that one. Sheesh. Yeah. Why? Because that's who he is, and that's that's who he fits. That's how he fits in this lineup. And, you know, he we saw just kind of amazing consistency before the injuries that nobody saw except for Mike Salk. Mm-hmm. And you want to see him get back to that. And, and, you know, he's important. You don't need him to be the big slugging, you know, home run hitting first baseman. You need him to be the guy who can kind of move things along and uh, the doubles guy, the occasional home runs and whatnot, but consistently, you know, give you that tough at bat. You need him to be your average guy on this team, and that's who he has been. So you hope that he gets back to that. And I think, especially in this day and age where average, you know, there are other guys that you don't need to be the average guy. You need them to be doing the damage. So, you know, it's not, um, you know, saying that he necessarily is your, your best hitter at that point. And there are some guys that you don't want to see above there that are going to be able to not even come close to approaching him and still could be even more valuable. But that is his role, and you'd love to see him back at that. Yeah, Julio actually led the team in batting average last year, which is pretty what did he end with 280-something. Yeah. Uh, and Ty France ended up 270-something. Now, that came down quite a bit at the end. I think for most of the year he was leading the team in mm-hmm. batting average. Uh, I thought about Colton Wong as an answer. I mean, he uh, you know could hit in the 250s, 260s. There aren't that many high batting average guys around, as we've seen that. That drop. I'm curious to see if the shift changes will uh, will change that. Hey, I mentioned Colton Wong, Shannon. Should I be focused at all on Keon Wong, his younger brother? I've seen him in a bunch of games. Is he a prospect? Is he a potential guy who could help them a little bit as they need some middle infield help, as you mentioned yesterday with some guys hurt? How serious should I take Keon Wong? I, I wouldn't call him a prospect. I mean, he's, he's 28 years old right now, but 
it, it just depends. I don't know. I uh, haven't really kind of figured out where uh, we know that he can play second base. I don't, I've got to keep my eyes open and see how much he is at third. As much as we've talked about there really being no backup beyond Dylan Moore at shortstop, uh, I would be just as nervous if anything happened to Eugenio Suarez right now. And so I, I think their eyes are open for that. But uh, from what we have seen from him, it's just been very steady when he has been in games. Is he on top of that list? Is he at the bottom of the list, the middle? I, I don't think he's too on the radar right now, but I think he is the type of player that you know can really, as spring training goes on, not maybe open eyes, but maybe force the manager or GM to kind of put a little checkbox or a star next to his name. And if you know, as needs arise, maybe that is somebody that you go back to. He, he certainly has not done anything to hurt himself in that role. You mentioned uh, the Ty France injury from last year, and it, it just kind of got me thinking about him and Cal and, and the, the struggles that they both had with their thumb and, and wrist elbow respectively last year. How different can can those guys be with a completely healthy start to this season? Oh, I I think I think it can be I think it can be pretty huge. It's funny because even though he was so injured, when you're talking about Cal Raleigh, his production didn't fall off that much. He was just limited to hitting from one side of the plate. So that you know, in that regard, you get lots more of Cal Raleigh. And I do think that that can, you know, absolutely um, be of, of use to this team. And I think it also what is going to play into how he does this year is how Scott Service does in managing the innings of all of his players. And J.P. Crawford very much fits into that. You do hope that he does get those breaks that they've talked about that he's needed every year. And he's run down at the end of the year and beat up at the end of the year. Um, along those lines, I think a lot of it's really just going to come down to managing playing time, the high-performance staff. And I think that when you do, I, I think that we have seen enough of these players that we're talking about that can you – expect at this point that it's going to be their best that we saw last year is going to be consistent. Eh, I think that's asking a little bit much for a young player, but you know, it's there and I would expect it could be more. We've got to, you know, kind of not get too giddy about everything that we see and realize that there is regression, that there are players that are very likely to take some steps back. But with what you saw last year, you know, you can't fault anybody for getting excited about what they saw, especially taking into consideration, you know, the injuries or the time that players were not with the team. This team, uh, just by having them full time this year, just by the experience behind them on paper, certainly is better. Well, with the off day, go enjoy Top Golf today. I'm sure you and the boys are going to get out there and watch. <laughs> Shannon the ball wants out. to get back. Yeah. She's go got to get, get that that club in her hands again. Yeah. By the way, AJ Pollock. Three nights. AJ <laughs> Pollock, another another possibility. I don't yeah. feel qualify. Just I don't have, I'll have enough at bats for it, but. He's a career 276 hitter. He mm. hit 297 two years ago. So nope. I suppose he's another guy we could throw into that uh, conversation. Shannon, thank you uh, for doing this all week, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow at 8 o'clock. You got it. All right, there you go. There's Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider in uh, Peoria, and she's around the team every day and experiencing uh, what has just been an incredibly fun start to this spring training season. Uh, I did write a little bit about that. You can read that at seattlesports.com as well. I had a big day writing Jeez, yesterday. Big writing. Wrote, wrote two columns. Well, I, huh? Yeah. I was excited. It's probably why Brent and Brandon didn't edit the Kurt and Kirk. Like, you know, you throw all of those words at them. I have too many words, very clearly. All right. Well, we'll throw some words at you guys next. We'll give you everything you need to know, followed by a a more in-depth conversation about the biggest story of the day. That, of course, is Geno Smith returning on a three-year deal. But is it? 
It's all coming up. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. We are learning a lot more this morning about the deal that Seahawks signed with Geno Smith yesterday. Apparently a base value of $25 million per season, only $40 million guaranteed and some $30 million in incentives. Mike Garofalo and now others with that report. So is it the same as three years, $105 million? No. Excuse me, which is what we heard yesterday. Yes, technically it could reach all of that, but seems incredibly unlikely with only $40 million guaranteed that that would happen. So is this really a one or two year deal for Geno Smith? Yeah, probably. And is it closer to $25 million a year? Yeah, and all of a sudden, this starts to look like a bit of a steal for the Seahawks. It gives them the flexibility they need right now in order to go out and free agency and make moves they need to. Mm -hmm. In addition to not limiting their options in the draft this year, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, this is a whole lot more of the win-win than three years 105. Three years 105, if it was all guaranteed and you couldn't move those numbers around, just I, I think it would limit you, Salk, and what you still have yeah. to do, which is most importantly build back this front seven, which, you know, like paying a quarterback is costly. Front sevens are costly. You know, edge rushers and freak show defense tackles and costly both in draft capital, costly in trade capital, and obviously costly at times, too, financially, if you uh, get involved and invested in the first wave of free agency. But put together a three-year deal at 25 per with 40 guaranteed over the course of that deal, that gives you more. That gives you more flexibility. It doesn't preclude you from taking a quarterback if you fall in love with one of these guys or already have. And we'll ask Pete about that equally in about an hour or so. And he's not going to give away all the state secrets here in the building. But clearly, you need to take another step elsewhere outside the quarterback position. Brian Baldinger yesterday saying essentially that. Look, let's just recap. What, what he did this year. Because he beat out Drew Locke in preseason. It was, a, it was a quarterback battle. He won the job. Then he goes out and he leads the league in completion percentage. He gets his team to the playoffs. He plays the style of football that Pete Carroll and John Schneider, the general manager, wants to play. Yep. The other quarterbacks seem to have an issue with that. He got the ball to his wide receivers in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, both over 1,000 yards. And he kept the, the takeaways down. He took care of the football this year. And he got him into the playoffs. So I think it's a great building block. And I think this team now has the ability to build around Geno and start building up that defense that had been depleted over a period of time. And I'll tell you one other thing I love about this. You know I love incentives. This is an incentive-laden deal. He could make $105 million. And if he makes $105 million, the Seahawks make a lot of money. And they win a lot of playoff games. And they get back to the place that they were first time around when they built this program so that wouldn't be all bad either right you look at it go probably never going to realize that probably not going to see all of it if they do that would actually be really good news for this team here's the second thing you need to know some good some bad yesterday for the mariners and we'll have to just remember that luis castillo has Struggled a little bit in spring training before. Luke Arkins, our buddy, pointing that out in a tweet to us a few minutes ago. He's got like a 6 ERA in spring training in his career. Right. But he also hasn't had great starts to his regular seasons. And I think some of the goal here is if you want this guy to be a Cy Young candidate, which I believe he can be, an ace of this staff, you can't kick off Cal Raleigh and everything else. Well, okay, then, Luis, you've got to start fast. That's right. And in that sellout, the home opener is sold out to begin this season. you got to come out and... Yeah, 92 and 93 is not 
That's not his stuff. And I don't want to see his stuff. If he has to build up for this entire month of March to get right and to stay healthy and to do what he's capable of doing. Yeah, no panic today. Absolutely not. But something that we're going to watch because they need him to start like Luis Castillo. It's like a 2-2-2. Two, 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 couple of hits three, yesterday two. for Ty France. Great to see that. Cal Raleigh with a ribby. And then Cape Marlowe, another home run. That's cool. Mariners lose 6-2. They are off today. Here's the third thing you need to know. Super busy day in the NFL. There are pass rushers out there. Frank Clark's going to be available. Bud Dupree's available. Leonard Floyd's going to be available. So, yeah, that is three members of a free agency class that uh, can all play and can all get to the quarterback. Very intriguing, certainly, if you're the Seahawks. And very similar to what led to them getting both Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett in one season. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I got some news. Trey Lance did not run 4-9-2. No kidding. Thank you. So, much closer to 4-6. There Let's just call go. it out 4-6, not 4 That makes sense. Two. And that's what it said on the internet. No, <laughs> this is not the fault of Maura, Justin, or anybody else. No, I, I, blame, Ma- I blame Maura. No, no I, blame I looked Maura. it up and she saw She said very confidently 4 9 two. That's fine. Maura <laughs> takes free cheap shots at me. I will yes. take them back at her. I'm, I'm well above doing anything like that, but... Well, you, I understand, but I thought Brock and I were on a team against you. I'm sorry, Maura. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, you're dead wrong. Why would you ever trust the interwebs? What are you looking at with 492? Lamar Jackson's going to get franchised today. I'm sure that'll help that friend. That deadline's, what, midnight tonight? Something like that. 3 a.m. Eastern time. No. Packers reportedly (laughs) done working on Aaron Rodgers' schedule as well. And the Kraken will get back to it. They play tonight looking for five straight wins. All right, there you go. That is. Everything you need to know. We All right, I took. Be uh, nice to each other. Yeah, let's be nice. Seriously. For, no, I'm not going to be nice last, to anybody. You guys are being jerks the, to me for, for the like last a week. 90, Justin's not being a jerk to you. Okay, for the last 90 minutes, we call a truce. <laughs> okay, a show family truce. This is what happens, right? Every time I went to a conference, you know, they would always say, "Hey, you, you're going to go home, and there's going to be some chaos. Mm. Just guarantee, just bet on it. There's going to be some adversity." And this one happens. We have a week in the sun together. We have the greatest time as a as a group. And you know, when you come back and you come home there's going to be some family trouble some family strife so let's justin and maura you're right let's cut it off at the pass in the next 90 minutes be nothing but affirming to one another there's no rank today so i can do that <laughs> Great idea. all right coming up next we're gonna do what does it mean that the seahawks have signed geno smith to the deal they have what do they do now moving forward why did they get this done got a bunch of questions that we'll run through before p carroll joins us in an hour it's brock and salk seattle sports on 710 seattlesports.com this this is brock and salk powered through the alaska airline studio back in mornings from six to ten on seattle sports and the seattle sports app Pete Carroll, one hour from now. Looking forward to that. That's why uh, Brock and I are here at the Seahawks facility, the Virginia Mason Athletic Center, and going to talk to Pete uh, coming up an hour from now. So they signed Geno Smith yesterday. Initial reports uh, for the total of the deal are essentially 35 a year, three years, 105. But then we started to get a lot more information this morning. Mike Garofalo and others helping us out and letting us know that really you're looking at only $40 million guaranteed. There's a lot of incentive money in here, and that the yearly value is probably closer to $25 million a year. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the deal goes from, eh, I'm in between, I don't really love it, it feels like too much money, to, okay, you're getting Geno Smith back, which kind of preserves what you're doing and gives you some continuity, all the while not preventing you from doing what you need to do to drastically improve defensively and potentially draft his successor. So it's it's hard to criticize too much. Yeah, I mean, as, for sure. as you unpeel it, doesn't all of that sound pretty good? Yeah. 
I mean, as you as you watch teammates react yesterday too, right? I mean, that that's that's real, and I hope we've learned that over the last twelve months. Is it one year to the day tomorrow? One year to the day tomorrow. <laughs> the Russell was traded, and and you kind of watch the reaction of teammates. You watch the reaction over the course of this season of, of former teammates, and finally Cliff Averill kind of came to his defense what a week ago or two weeks ago. I was like, okay, enough of the slander, like. Enough with the Russell, but that stuff does matter. And when you watched yesterday, offensive players, defensive players, Jason Myers for crying out loud, right? Saying we got to get Gino to golf now so I can take his money, right? I mean, all of them, every phase of this team reacted in such an incredibly positive way. And, you know, Brady Henderson, uh, let's see more. I think it is cut nine. cut nine was talking about, you know, just how he handled his business off the field and the role that played in this deal getting done yesterday. He showed a great deal of accountability after mistakes, and it, it's accountability that you don't often hear from quarterbacks. I think, frankly, we didn't hear it as much from Russell Wilson after he made mistakes. There wasn't that level of public accountability uh, that you heard from Geno Smith, and I imagine that that went a long way in the locker room, and I don't think it's any surprise that you're seeing teammates react on Twitter uh, with you know the excitement that they are to this deal. I think playing the way he did and carrying himself the way he did really went a long way in that locker room. You know, you know this about me. You know, there's there's some of these things that I hold true to. I love incentives. I just do. I, I think that that it, at times can be a tremendous motivator. I also am not one that all of a sudden says, "Oh, this guy's just going to get better." Oh, this guy's just going to get better. Like I didn't get better in college. When I played with great players, I was better my freshman year, my sophomore year, than I was my last year. Like you don't just always get better just with experience. But what if Gino does take a step? I mean, that's the reality of this contract, he too. He says that's going to happen. I mean, he's talked about that. He thinks that, that uh, you know, with a full season under his belt, he'll be better in this offense next year. Uh, yeah, and, you know, new quarterback coach comes in here. And Greg Olson has been around the block with a lot of very talented guys. And what if he brings another little added dimension in another year as a starter? And just as this game does slow down. And, oh, by the way, under your belt, you have a year of experience So going, yeah, I'm a pro bowler. Like I don't I don't have to talk about that. That's not a pipe dream. I was a pro bowler last year. Played in a playoff game where I was lights out for the first half. And unfortunately, you know, the, the two areas that I think would be the major focus areas for the new QB coach and just goal setting for next year are sacks and fumbles. Right? If if you forty six sacks a year ago and, and if, you know, ten or fifteen of those are on him of not getting the ball out or negative plays, hey man, you cut those in half. You hold on to the the ball when you get sacked and and you cut those fumbles in half or you have a zero on that ledger, all of a sudden, I mean, (laughs) you know, that that number and that contract at 25 million per average with with guys in this league still making 50 and 45 and 40 and 38 and 35, you're like, that's great value. And we can add the other components defensively to mirror some of his play and to play to that standard. Mm -hmm. So, But I do think with Brady... That off the field mattered. Well, Pete talked about that. He didn't cut 10 here. He was asked about the combine, and he pointed very much to Gino and, and the way he handles his business, even more so than what he does on the field. We had an inkling that there was something really special there, but we didn't know. You know, we really didn't know and didn't know if he could sustain, you know, because he hadn't had the opportunity to do that. So all of that combined, and then the way he handled it with such class and character and, and makeup and competitiveness and you know, beautiful come through and, and athleticism, all that stuff was all part of this story. I think my favorite part of it is though is how he handled it. You know that he was able to take this moment and and capture it. And he, uh, you know, he opened up to the club in, in terms of his leadership opportunities and, and uh, 
and it was almost impeccably handled. It was like it was orchestrated just right out of the book, just exactly like you would like it to be. So it was really fascinating to see it and uh, thrilling to be a part of it. I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. Is that the beautiful come through part that you agree with? you know, I have a struggle with words every once in a while as well. No, I love it. He just came through beautifully. <laughs> it's a beautiful come through. It, it, he beautifully came through those situations okay. at it. every turn on the field with Lisa Salters in an, an, an emotionally charged, as emotionally charged environment as we have seen in that building in a long time on that Monday night with the whole nation watching it. And right there on the field after the game, just nailed it. To the, to the point we're still talking about it months later with the haters and not writing back to I'm a thumb guy and I'm not a finger pointer and owning every mistake and owning his fumbles and owning his sacks and owning games that they lost. And, yeah, they spend all of this time the last couple of weeks at the Senior Bowl, down at the Combine, sitting down with these guys trying to figure out what's all I mean, I, I can see this. I'm watching tape of Anthony Richardson here during the breaks. I got my game tape up. I'm watching it. I can evaluate, you know, the accuracy. I can see the missed throws. I can see the hits. I can see the unbelievable athleticism. But what I don't know is how are you going to handle 17 weeks of a grueling journey where the light is on you, and when you fail, everyone wants to see how you're going to respond. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to lead the men around you? You know, this kid's not not played a ton of ball. You know, he's had kind of turmoil and chaos there in three years in Gainesville. He's seen coaches change and schemes change. And, you know, he's there's not like a, okay, you know, here's this dude for, for four years. Here's Trevor Lawrence at Clemson in that system for three years. Here's here's these guys at Ohio, C.J. Stroud at Ohio, Bryce Young at Alabama. These guys led their programs. They were the focal points. They handled all of that. Will Levis at Kentucky, Anthony Richardson at Florida. I don't know how you're going to handle that. So I've got to dig in as much as I can. I've got to project as much as I can, but there's an unknown. There's no unknown with Gino. And what is that worth? $25 million a year, if that's what it is, sign me up. Can you win a Super Bowl with Gino? Yeah. yeah, I, Yes. And, and, and as I was driving into this building, I was reminded of last August when we were on that training camp field. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo was still right in purgatory. He wasn't allowed to practice with the 49ers. <laughs> he had to train on the off field. And we're like, you know, what about Jimmy? And, and Lewis Riddick loved Jimmy. And, you know, we compete against Jimmy. There's a lot of things to like about Jimmy. Give give DK and Tyler and these guys Jimmy Garoppolo. And what was the common refrain? We got our Jimmy. He's right over there. Right? His name's Geno Smith. We think he's Jimmy Garoppolo. We think his skill set and his arm and his accuracy, if given the opportunity, can do everything. And you know what? On paper last year, I think his numbers were better than any year Jimmy Garoppolo ever had. Mm-hmm. And, by the way, Jimmy Garoppolo was one post route away from winning the Super Bowl. So can you win a Super Bowl? Not with Trent Dilfer, Brad Johnson, and Maura, you rattled those numbers off beautifully. You came through in the 6 a.m. hour beautifully. And those guys were not a comparison in any way. Jimmy G's a pretty good comp. Can you win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo? I, I, yeah, I think you can. Can you win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith? I think you can. But what did San Francisco do? I mean, you're gonna, if you're going to win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith, you're going to need to make a significant upgrade in your defense. It's got to be significant. So the next question becomes, how much can you improve your defense in the next year or two, even if you're going to draft a quarterback to eventually replace him, 
Can you do enough to improve this defense that quickly? Hey, Justin Barnes, you there, the beloved Justin Barnes, the I'm kindest, sweetest, you know, terrific guy, Justin Barnes, are you there? Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Well, I was very, very. You were right. You said this last hour and a half we're going to be positive and nice and supportive. We're going to be affirming this hour and last hour and a half. Hey, uh, Justin Barnes, the beloved Bengal Tigers that you have rooted for. Uh, some would say, I don't know how a kid from Libby, Montana becomes a Bengal Tiger fan, but yeah. you have. You love the Bengals. Yeah. How much did the Bengals turn their defense in one year with the right additions and free agency? Oh, and yeah. yeah, they spent a lot of money on it, but they, it turned quick. Became super, went okay. to the Super Bowl. The, went the, to the Super Bowl. The, the contrarian would say, with a quarterback on a rookie deal. Yeah, the first pick in the draft, making about $20 million or so. Right, I mean, not fifty million. Gene's not making fifty. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo's cap number in those years at San Francisco was in the twenties. Right, so we're not talking about Kurt or Kirk, whatever way. I will call him Kirk. You Kirk are being Cousins. affirming, huh? <laughs> um, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, whatever is it? No, it's very affirming. Yeah, Thank you. My bad. It's nice. Uh, we're not talking that cap number. No, fun. We're not talking Kyler Murray's cap number. We're not talking. You know, the we're talking. Yeah, in the twenties, where Burrow was as a is the first pick in the draft. That you put the surrounding cast around him. Yeah, man, I'm feeling better and better about this, honestly. I didn't feel great at $35 million a year, and that's not what this deal is. At $25 million and a cap number this upcoming season that's probably going to be less than $10 million, mm-hmm. you've got an opportunity in this flooded DN market, both in the draft and otherwise, to address your biggest need. If you needed a, a safety, right, if you were two safeties away, if you needed three interior linemen, even if, if you needed elite wide receivers, I don't think those things are in this draft. Well, you might need three interior defensive linemen. But what's in this draft are defensive linemen, not great D tackles, great edge guys, great edge guys, linebackers, and your biggest need sitting there. And now in this free agent market, you've got some. So I, I got to tell you, as I hear you say all that. Yeah, I'm getting a little more excited. The, 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 biggest, the biggest thing it sounds like they need to do in free agency is to sign a Javon Hargrave. I mean, if Deron Payne isn't going to be available because he mm-hmm. got tagged, mm-hmm. it sure sounds to me, and listening to you talk about this class, now maybe you're going to you know, bet the house that you're going to get Jalen Carter and that's going to be your difference maker. Your edge guys are not terrible. Honestly, from what you had last year, from Jenna and Daryl Taylor who had a bunch of sacks as kind of a third option, and I think you like the, the beginning of, of, uh, of mm-hmm. what uh, Boy Mafe can do, your edge was not the problem. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't perfect. But you weren't three edge guys away from success. Mm-hmm. The interior of your defensive line was problematic. Yep. It did not play well in this scheme at all. Yep. Right? And, well, and I was thinking about this. And by too. all accounts, you're moving on from Puna. You're likely moving on from Shelby Harris. Don't know whether Al Woods is going to be able to give it another go at his age. LJ so, Collier. Right. LJ Collier's done. I mean, like, oh. Brian Monet is going to be hurt. I mean, like, your yeah. whole defensive interior line is yes. shot. Yes. So unless you are 100% sure you're getting Jalen Carter with the number five pick, if this is a bad year mm-hmm. for defensive tackles, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's Javon Hargrave and whoever else well, plays that position. Or, that sounds like a priority. Yeah. Or because that, otherwise, I don't care who your linebackers are. Yep. Or that pick becomes at five, you trade down because now you've got Geno and, and you add more capital and another first and you trade a first for a D tackle out there. And and I don't know if, I mean, Vita Vea is such. That's not impossible to do, but that's hard to do. It that, is. That is shooting the moon. It is. And if that works out, that would be great. I mean, believe me, I would be all in on a scenario like that. Mm-hmm. But that is shooting the moon. That is That requires 
a lot of things to go right. Yep. It requires somebody being willing to trade with you at number five. And we've seen before, while you may want that, you can't bank on that. Remember mm-hmm. the Jordan Love year where John couldn't trade out and ended up with, was that Collier's year? Or was, I forget who that was. No, that they year. traded down in the LJ Collier. Yeah. Right, but you know yeah. what I mean. Yep. Right? That was. Uh, or that. somebody goes a pick just ahead of them, right? Yep. yep. And the next thing you know, you're not able to trade down, and then you're not able to make the trade for the. Or somebody doesn't want to trade for, for mm-hmm. their defensive lineman. So yep. uh, it's not that I don't love the plan. Nope. I think that's all fair. But that's, yep. that's a lot left up to chance. It is. You have to improve the interior of this defensive line. Correct. Or else whatever you have on the edge, whatever you have at linebacker, quite frankly, whatever you have in your secondary, which is the strength of this defense right now, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant if you mm-hmm. can't do anything up front. Yep, and we certainly felt that over the course of last season. You certainly see the Super Bowl teams, the Final Four teams, their their fronts and their front sevens did not have many holes. So the real question is not, can you win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith? It's, can the Seahawks win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith in the next two years? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if you make the proper additions within that front seven, and we're talking D tackles, we're talking pass rushers, and oh, by the way, we're talking linebackers, because Jordan Brooks tore his ACL in December, right? So if you want to talk about the QB room right now, as we sit here in the Seahawks facility and Pete Carroll in 45 minutes, talk about the QB room, it's Geno right now, and that's it. He's there by himself. Yep, he's there by himself. You talk about the linebacker room right now, and Jordan's in rehab, and Cody Barton's a free agent, it's... It's pretty lean. It's Tanner Muse. I think Ben Burkirvan may Certainly still. Certainly the, ins- the inside linebacker. Uh, yeah, the inside linebacker is, portion is of it. It's pretty darn thin. So. But it sure sounds like there might be some momentum towards a Bobby Wagner reunion. Yep. It, you know, Eric Hendricks was released yesterday, if that's a name that you find interesting. He's sort of a in-between. Was he more of an inside guy or an He's an inside guy. guy, and he, again, has some familiarity within this scheme and the components of it. But he's definitely, there's a reason they're moving on yep. from him. He's definitely, his legs are not with they were five ten years ago so yeah i mean there's there yeah i do you know i I think we posed that question at the end of the show yesterday talking about gino and everything can you win a super bowl with gino smith if you can win a a super bowl with jimmy garoppolo you can win a super bowl with gino smith yeah i don't disagree with you but i I think things have to be pretty pretty perfect it's not like winning a super bowl with patrick mahomes where not everything needs to be perfect. Well, then you're also assuming, in, in, in order to say that, you're also assuming that this Geno Smith, we saw the best that, that he could be. Because no, I'm, if not, Geno I'm Smith, not assuming that. I'm assuming that... Because if Geno Smith can take just another baby step, if he can eliminate the fumbles, if he can cut down on the sacks... That would help, absolutely. I mean, that would be fantastic. <laughs> those but numbers is he going to be Patrick real. Holmes? Is he going to be Josh Allen? Is he going to be Joe Burrow? Is he going to be a guy that you believe can carry a team all the way to a Super Bowl on his right arm? That's going to be hard for me to swallow, Brock. And yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. That's going to be hard for me to swallow yeah. after watching him play. It's not impossible, yep. but it seems unlikely to me. So well, you just that's mentioned the Stafford from the year before last. I mean, was Stafford right. that impressive when they? No, were? but the guys around him were unbelievable. He yeah. had a phenomenal defense, mm-hmm. the best player in the league at wide receiver, a coach who was as, as good at scheming guys open as anybody, a running game. I mean, like the stuff around Matt Stafford was mm-hmm. unbelievable, yep. and it still took a dropped interception for him to even make the Super Bowl. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like I I put kind of put Gino in that category. Yep. If you can create a team around him as good as the Rams created around Stafford, yep. do I think Jimmy? Uh, do I think uh, Gino could win a Super Bowl? Yes. Do I think that they can create a team that quickly in two years? 
I hope so. Well, but that that is that is going to be well, a tall order. Well, there's two very big positives that they have not had in many of the years. Certainly over the last seven eight years. Yeah. In in order to do that, they have draft capital and they have cap space. Yeah. You move on from Shelby Harris. You move on from Gabe Jackson. You move on. You move money around. You have plenty of cap space to do what you want to do. And you didn't have to franchise tag Geno, so you didn't nope. have to blow thirty million nope. plus. And you got on five him. and twenty in this draft class and two second round. Like yeah. you have those two things. Man, they got to make that if, work. Then. If we had this conversation five years ago, Salk, you know, and, and the constraints with, with you know, drafting number twenty-eight and not really much cap space because you're tied into Richard and and Earl and Bobby for big numbers, and there's just not. It's a different conversation. Yeah, you're a year away probably from getting out of Jamal Adams. Yep. You've got, uh, you know, eventually you're going to need to pay these young players that you drafted last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're only going to get four years or so with them yep. before you're going to start having that next conversation. But you got a two-year window pay. here where you have a left tackle on a rookie deal, a right tackle on a rookie deal, an elite corner on a rookie deal, and those guys were cheap, uh, third and fifth rounder for the last two. Like, you've got a window here, running back, an elite running back that was a second round. Like, you've got a window of two years here. In this Geno deal, numbers-wise, gives them opportunity. And I think he structured it. And we'll see when all of this comes out. But, again, we made some assumptions yesterday at 3 years 105. I'm going to make an assumption, and, and maybe I'll be proven wrong on this. When the numbers all come out, we'll see. But I'm making an, an assumption here that Geno, if we celebrated Tom Brady for taking a little less in all of his years there, I'm making an assumption here that Gino took a little less and built it up in incentives and said, "Hey, man, thumb guy, right? It, it, it's on me here, and I, you know I'm I'm given responsibility, and you know put put millions in us getting to a Super Bowl, put millions in me getting back to a Pro Bowl, put millions in me getting to the playoffs, and you know what? If if I capture all of that and I make 105 million, you know who else wins? Everyone here." including these two, you know, jackals on the headphones getting to talk about a playoff run and a run to a Super Bowl. He maximized all his incentives last year. He doubled his salary. He was a one-year three-and-a-half, and then he went about breaking records and going to the Pro Bowl and going to the playoffs and making a million bucks by going to the playoffs, betting on himself to do that. And I think on this deal, as it's as it's laid out right now, as we understand it, there's a lot of incentives that Geno Smith said. Once again, I'm going to bet on myself. Yeah. And you know what? I, can I make- like a lot of that, Brock. Yeah. I, I like a lot of what you're saying. And, and clearly, I, I see this not the same at this point. Yesterday, I was worried this was the Kirk Cousins deal. And yep. that's what was worrying me. I, I'm not interested in the $35 million for Kirk Cousins. Nope. I just, I that's that's not. And you know what else this isn't? This isn't the Jared Goff after, you know, oh, I think we do believe in him. You right. give him a big deal. Oh, this isn't or the Carson Kyler Wentz Murray or, or the Kyler Murray. Or... No, it, it feels like Alex Smith. Yep. It feels like Alex Smith in Kansas, Kansas City. City. And we looked at those numbers, and they money. were in the 20s. He got paid. Yep. He didn't get no money. He made a little bit of money while he was there. Yep. But they went out, and next year in the first round, drafted his successor. I think they made the playoffs with Alex Smith the next year. Yep. They weren't a Super Bowl team. Yep. But they made the playoffs. Absolutely, and yeah. then the following yep. year, Mahomes took over. And obviously, yep. the rest is history from there. I-, I-, I could very easily see a scenario that is similar to that. And in that way... 
I, I can respect this as the Alex Smith move. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really smart way of doing business. Alex Smith was a pretty good quarterback. Same with Geno Smith. I actually kind of put them very much on par. Yep. A lot of the same skills. Highly drafted. Smith was drafted earlier, but highly drafted. Didn't really work out in the first spot. Bounced around a little bit. Yep. Was able to eventually take advantage of their skill set. Both guys were reasonably mobile. Very accurate. Yep. Right. Good leaders. I mean, there was a lot of skills that are similar. I know everyone's comparing him to Rich Gannon, and for some obvious reasons, I think Alex Smith might end up being the best comp for Geno Smith. Yep. And the question is, Alex Smith couldn't take them to the promised land. Mm-hmm. He got them close. He was a great bridge. And how do they see Geno? Is he is he somebody who can take them close? Continue to build the culture. Continue to you know Pete Carroll winning tradition, etc. And as you're waiting for the Jordan Patrick Mahomes to show up. Maybe be interesting mm-hmm. to see if they can pull off that turn. Yeah, much, I think that's a good way to look at it. I remember talking to Andy Reid, and he mentioning Alex Smith and saying when they got him, he was broken, man. He was mm-hmm. totally broken. They went back to Utah tape to find stuff to just build him back up, and he became yeah, uh, a pretty good, pretty good player, pretty good, pretty good in numbers that pretty comparable to this Geno deal. And then they did. They had some draft capital, and they thought Patrick Mahomes was a unicorn. And they went up and they got him. And if this crew and and, and this building that we're sitting in believes that Anthony Richardson or Will Levis can be that guy and they're sitting there at number five. And if they don't, I certainly hope that there's a draft pick in the second or third round of quarterback. I mean, you almost have to. Given the amount of capital that you have and given that you don't have any other quarterback on your roster right now. Yeah. You owe it to yourself to at least take a flyer on somebody on day two. If you don't love someone on day one, fine. But second or third round? To me, that's almost a necessity at the very least mm. this offseason to try to be developing somebody to eventually take over. Heck, what if Geno gets hurt? I know we didn't at all last year, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. So all things to watch for. Pete Carroll's going to join us a little over a half hour from now. It is Brock and Salk. We're down at the facility. We're getting ready to talk to Pete, talking Seahawks, talking Geno all morning long here on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.